allow me, if you will, to go ahead and go before the Lord in prayer tonight. And that is not my way to uh, tell everybody to be quiet. That's not what I'm saying. Because in youth, if you want all the kids to be quiet, you just say, well, Father, and then everybody gets really quiet, and then you can go on with what you're normally going to say. So let me pray. Father, we, we come to you this morning, God. We ask that we would be able to hear Uh, a message from your mouth, God, not the best that I have to offer, but Father, that you would relay and strengthen the foundations that we've got in life, God. I pray that you would uproot uh, damaged uh, parts of our foundation that have been cracked, that no one's even known about, as we dig back down into uh, the foundation parts of your word, God, that you would secure, that you would strengthen, Father, that we would uh, not just gain information, but Father, that we get to know you as a person. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to read a verse out of Hebrews 6, starting in verse 1. It's so easy to read up there, so I'll read it for you. So let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let's go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds or dead works, placing our faith in God. You don't need further instruction about baptisms, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And so, God willing, we will move forward to further understanding. So Paul is saying we don't need to lay these foundations again, but Justin is saying we are going back and we are relaying some foundations. Um, So today we're going to be talking about the resurrection of the dead. And this is not like a George Romero reanimator type resurrection of the dead. So when in our modern ideas, when I say the dead will rise, we have certain images that pop up into our head and usually it's not anything good. So I want to try to reframe how we, how we perceive the phrase resurrection of the dead. And I want to reframe that by starting off with a question. Is this flower dead or alive? It looks alive. It's green. It's not dried up. It's not desiccated. It's not withered away. It's still the normal colors. But there's one problem that this flower has. Can anyone get a hint of what's wrong with this flower? (laughs) Yeah, it's severed from the root. You know, I can put this flower in a vase of water I can put it out in the sun. I can put plant food in the water. This is not going to be a reenactment of The Bachelor. We'll put that right there. (laughs) But if I give it water, all I'm going to do is delay the inevitable. You know, it might last a week, might last two weeks. My house, it would last three hours because I kill every plant that comes into my house. Um, But what happens if you were a skilled gardener and you had the ability to regraft that flower back in the original plant. You know, you have to cut it certain ways and get twine and and snare it upright, but if you graft it in and you were good enough, all of a sudden the flower is reconnected to the source and it starts living again, right? All right, I wanna read a verse out of John 15. We're gonna read through a lot of scripture, um, but this is not a five-hour dissertation on the resurrection of the dead. So I would encourage you, while you have your Bibles in front of you, get out your apps. We're gonna be reading a little bit out of John 15. I encourage you, go back and read the whole chapter. There's nothing in John 15 that's gonna be bad for you. It's all gonna be good for you. So I wanna read starting in verse five. Jesus is talking to, uh, to a bunch of people and says, yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And here's where it gets scary. Anyone who does not remain in me 
is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. So kind of scary language from Jesus. But Jesus is saying, if you break connection from me, bad things happen. If you gain connection with me, good things happen, okay? So our entire universe is based on the concept of energy flow. So you go outside. Did anyone go outside yesterday? Like, I just walked outside. I was just like, thank you so much. And then you wake up this morning, and it's cold, and it's rainy again, but that's okay. I got my vitamin D kick yesterday. I sat in front of Starbucks and just did nothing, and it was incredible. Um, So our entire universe is based on the fact that energy flows from one place to another. You go outside, and the sun is shining on the grass. The sun has ultraviolet radiation that is not good for us, If you spend all day, every day out in the sun, bad things will happen to your skin. But those plants receive that radiation and turn that energy into chemical energy. Now, we go along and we eat those plants and our body converts that chemical energy into motion. It's really incredible that our bodies gain nourishment from eating. Okay, God designed our spirits to gain nourishment through relationship with God. The same thing as being connected to the branch. The same thing as that rose being connected to roots. How we get that spiritual nourishment is by being in relationship with God. But if we break that connection, if we break that relationship, we are broken off of that source of life. It seems like a simple idea, but when we start living it out, we break relationship and we start thinking, everything's going wrong in my life. It's like, right. Because God's back here and you ran off and left him. You ran off and left your source. You ran off and left your roots. I want to read a story out of Genesis 3. I assume all of us know this, but just in case. 3, starting in verse 1. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say to you, you must not eat from the fruit of any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat from the fruit of the trees of the garden, the woman replied. It's only from the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden. And the green grass grew all around, all around. And the green grass. I'm the only one that sings that after that verse. Cool. I thought it was, I thought it was all of us, and it's just me. Um, it's only from the, true, or from the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you'll die. If you touch this, you will die, okay? You won't die, the serpent said. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. You'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful, its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom that it would give her. Because I have the ability to read. Wanted the wisdom that it would give her. She took some of the fruit and ate it, and then she gave it to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened. And suddenly they felt shame at their nakedness. They sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking around in the garden. And they went, ran and hid from him among the trees. And the Lord God called to man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. And God, this is one of my favorite verses in scripture. Because we think that Adam and Eve messed up, and so God, like an abusive father, loses his temper and then comes in. It's like, I cannot believe that you got the Legos out on the carpet. That's it. I'm kicking you out of the house. Who ran? Adam and Eve. Did God show up mad throwing lightning bolts? No. God said, buddy, where are you? 
I was afraid of you, so I, I ran and hid. Has, has your kid ever done something to you and they know that it's bad, and so they hide from you? It's the first reaction that sin does in our heart is make us run away from the people that love us the most. Adam and Eve's mind warped. Their views of the father relationship, their views of love warped, and it made them withdraw from God. And God's response was, who told you you were naked? Did you get that shame from me? Am I making you feel shamed? No. This shame came from some, something else. Did you eat from the tree that I told you not to? Mm-hmm. Okay, so question. Did Eve die on the spot? Right. God told her, if you eat this, you'll die. And she ate it, and nothing happened. One of the worst things about our lives is that we don't suffer immediate consequences of our dumb decisions. If our consequences were immediate, we would behave better. But if consequences were immediate, that removes the, the ability for God to be gracious and merciful for us. If we had immediately, immediate consequences, there's no mercy in the universe. So back to my original question, is the flower alive or dead? It looks alive. Eve looked alive. She talked. She moved around. But at the time that she broke connection, and again, notice that it has nothing to do with magical fruit that Eve ate. It was like, oh, you happened to eat the one poison thing. The fruit didn't matter. The problem was that she disobeyed. She, she went away from God and installed the serpent as being the king over her life. She disobeyed, and it broke connection. Physically, she was fine. And mentally, spiritually, there was a break. We see the immediate break because of the warped sense of love. She ran and hid. She was afraid of God's father heart. And so mankind has a problem now. The flower has been cut off the vine. And every time in the Old, Old Testament, the entire Old Testament is the story of God reaching back out to reestablish relationship with mankind. But see, Adam fell. Adam was broken. And everybody that came along in Adam's family lineage followed his pattern of behavior, followed his, his destiny, his identity. All of humanity's fate was bound with Adam. So God comes in from the outside and reaches out a hand, and God picks up some friends going through the Old Testament. He has some people that are going to, to worship him, but our connection to our father Adam was stronger than our connection with our spiritual father. Does that make sense? Have you ever had a friend that's in a, in a very, very bad relationship and they withdraw from healthy people and we go, baby darling, honey, we love you. You're with an idiot. Can you please come? No. And even though that you can say all the right things, their connection to that bad influence is stronger than their connection to you in that moment. So you have to sit there and hurt as they keep making bad choice after bad choice after bad choice. And so that is what the story of the Old Testament is. A heartbroken father looking at his creation going, I promise you your life would be better with me. No, we want to do things our way. Okay. Okay. I'm not going to force you. I'm not going to tie you up and throw you in the basement to force you to love me because that's not love. But he had this secret plan going on in the background. See, the problem was that we were attached to our father, Adam. So what God did was send his son 
in the form of a new Adam. And no one even knew who he was. He was this covert secret agent who slipped in through the enemy's grasp. Um, This Adam, this last Adam, the second Adam showed up on the scene and everybody, you know, thought that he was this amazing person. In uh, Genesis 3.15, God prophesied to Eve and said, in the middle of all of this emotional heartbreak, in the middle of humanity falling, I am going to send somebody that's going to be descendant from you and he's going to fix all of it. The enemy is going to bite his heel, but he will crush the head of the serpent. Okay, so Jesus showed up on the scene. Think about this. Jesus wasn't connected to the source. He wasn't like a flower that was connected to a vine. He was the source. He didn't have to worry about his connection. He was the source of all life. And he demonstrated his power over life and death when he would raise people from the dead. And people still thought it was just some magic trick that he did. You raise them from the dead. Do your trick again. Do your trick again. It's like knowing somebody that knows how to do a car trick. Do it. Do it. Perform for us. I had no idea. When Jesus' friend Lazarus died, Lazarus' sisters came up to him and was like, God, or Jesus, I know that if you would have been here, you could have fixed this whole thing, but I know one day Lazarus will eventually rise from the dead. And what was Jesus' response? You don't get it. I am the resurrection. I am life. See, we have the exact same problem that Lazarus' sisters had. Okay, so all of this to say, the problem that we have in our churches sitting in our pews right now, we view the resurrection from the dead as an event that will one day eventually happen to us. But that is not what the resurrection of the dead is. The resurrection of the dead is a person. Okay, the same thing with the word. In our minds, when we talk about the word of God, we think of the Bible. But the word of God is not the Bible. The word of God is a person that the Bible reflects. It is a person. Everything about God is tied up in a relationship with him. So he was saying, like, you don't have to wait for an event. The resurrection of the dead is here before you. Um, See, Jesus was not a natural part of this this creation. He snuck in past the enemy's plan. Um, The Bible says that even, or if the enemy knew what Jesus was about, he would never have crucified the Lord of glory. He had no idea. But God played on the enemy's ignorance and slipped him in. And eventually, Jesus did die. He was put to death. We're about to celebrate that through Good Friday and Easter. That out of ignorance, the enemy put the source of life to death. Think about that. It wasn't, he wasn't a rose that was disconnected from a vine. He was the source of life that went down into death. In your mind, think about what would happen if the source of all life was let loose on the land of the dead. It's cool. I want to read 1 Corinthians 15. This is another chapter. There's nothing in 1 Corinthians 15 that will do you harm. I encourage you, go home and read this whole chapter because it's actually uh, really incredible. Verse 20, but in fact, 
Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of those who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through one man, now resurrection from the dead has become through an, or has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we belong to our father Adam, so everyone who belongs to Christ will be given a new life. Okay, so watch what happened. The source of all life went down into death. Okay? From God's prophecy in Genesis, there's going to come a Savior. You don't know who he's going to look like. You don't know what he's going to be about, but there's going to be somebody that's going to come, and he's going to save all of this. From that moment on, people started putting their faith, their hope, their destiny in this last Adam, in this Messiah. He eventually became called the Savior, so that when Jesus actually showed up on earth, the warped minds of the people in the time thought that he was going to come and be a political savior. That's why the disciples were always like, are you running for the next election? No, you don't even know what you need to be saved from. But think about this. Every Old Testament saint that put their faith in this coming Messiah was tied up in Jesus. They abandoned their allegiance as much as they could to the first Adam And they placed their allegiance with the second Adam. Well, eventually they died. And eventually the next generation died. And so on and so forth. Imagine the people that are sitting in this room right now. This is past tense to us. We have looked back into Jesus' life and placed our faith, our hope, our destiny, the fate of our eternal souls we have placed on the shoulders of Jesus, just the same way as Adam, just the same way as Eve, Seth, Abraham, Noah, all of these patriarchs of the faith in eternity past and eternity future are looking at this one moment when Jesus is hanging on a tree and we are all putting our destiny with him. And then the Lord of life went down into death and we are all tied Our destinies, our fate, our future, our hope, our dreams are tied to this man that went down into death. But, but, see, the father didn't want Jesus to stay dead. And so imagine this. See, we read scripture and we see that the sky gets darkened and we say that that God abandoned Jesus. Jesus felt abandoned, but God the father never left the son. He went down into death, and three days after that, the father tugged him back into life. Jesus, in the land of the dead, felt a pull. But not only did Jesus feel that pull, everybody that had ever attached their destiny, their fate, their hopes, or their dreams, anybody that had ever, in history past, put faith in Christ, this coming Messiah, they didn't even know him. They never even met him. I've never met Jesus, but I put my faith in him in the land of the dead, Abraham, at the same time that Jesus was resurrected, felt a pull back into life. Adam, Eve, Seth, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all all Old Testament saints felt a pull back into life. Have you ever been playing with a bunch of kids and they grab around your legs and you start doing this like Frankenstein walk, dragging a train of children behind you? See, the amazing miracle of the resurrection, it was amazing enough if Jesus got out of the tomb. To raise yourself from the dead is a trick that I I don't understand how to do that. But the miracle wasn't that Jesus got out of the tomb. When Jesus got out of the tomb, 
He carried every saint that had ever lived before and every saint that would ever put faith in him came out of the tomb with him. So imagine Jesus walking with the destiny and the fate of every believer in history past and in history future, and he carried them into heaven. That is the amazing part of the resurrection. That's the resurrection of the dead. It's not that one day eventually we will come up out of a grave. It is that now I am currently risen from the dead. All right. I want to read uh, this verse. It's Ephesians 2. 1 through 10. And again, there's nothing in Ephesians 2 that will hurt you. I challenge you, go home and read this. Once you were dead because of your disobedience. Thanks, Paul. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You didn't just mess up one time, your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. The people that disobey God, by the way, they're not, they're not idiots. They're not our enemies. They're being controlled by an enemy spirit. We don't fight against them. We fight against the spirit that's controlling them, FYI. He's the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is at work in the hearts of the people that refuse to obey God. Verse 3, and all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everybody else. Verse four, but God. But God, so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though that we were dead, we were cut off from the vine, we were waiting for death eventually to take us, to swallow us whole. Although that we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he resurrected Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you have been saved, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us in him in heavenly realms. I'm telling you, it's incredible. Because we are united with Christ, so God can point to us in every future age as an example of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us, as shown in all that he has done for us who are united with Christ. God saved you by his grace when you believed. When you believed. Did you have to do anything to impress him? Did you have to bring in silver, gold, jewels? Did we have to lay diamonds before him? No, he saved you when you believed, when you took him at his word. And you can't take credit from this. It's a gift of God. Everybody listen to this. This is one of the worst flaws in our foundation. Verse nine, chapter two. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we've done. When you ask a lot of believers, why are you going to heaven? I live a pretty good life. No, heaven is not a reward for the good things that we've done. So none of us can boast about it. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he had destined for us from the beginning. All right? So the, the issue is not like, so why, why even worry about the resurrection of the dead? Because it changes our entire perspective of how we view the world. Okay? I'm not one day waiting for the resurrection of the dead. I am now, Justin Grant, sitting in all good Tennessee, am now currently seated in heavenly places. 
resurrected, reconnected back to the source. I have got fresh life flowing through me. So I am not sitting here twiddling my thumbs, waiting for death to overcome me. I'm not waiting for my problems to eventually kill me and bring me on home. No, no, no. I am already home and I am distributing the resources of heaven back into a lost and dying world. How do I do that? Through relationship. Because I have a relationship with the Father, I become a conduit of the blessings of heaven. And because I have relationship with other people, those blessings fall on those people. And eventually, all we're doing is trying to reconnect people back in the source. But the problem of the day when we think about the resurrection of the dead, if I am surging with resurrection life, if I walked out of the tomb with Jesus, why do we go to so many funerals? That, that is a problem that we have to, have to talk about. Because if Jesus says, those that believe in me will never die, and people die, it makes Jesus seem like he's a liar, right? When I cut this rose off a rose bush, Eventually, the petals are going to wilt, they're going to fade, and they're going to fall. But something to think about, if I never cut that rose off that rose bush, the petals are going to wilt, they're going to fade, the petals are going to fall off. If you go out to the rose bush, well, maybe a month ago, if you go out to the rose bushes out front, they look pretty funky. Our beauty, our vitality, our life isn't eternal. It isn't forever. Eventually, one day, this rose will wilt, I'll fade, and my petals will fall off. So from the surface, we can't tell any difference between the death of a believer and the death of an unbeliever the same way that you can't tell the difference between a faded rose because it's gotten cut off from the source and a faded rose just because it's in a different season. So what's going to be the proof on that? is one day there's going to be a season change. And I'm telling you, it is, it is one of my favorite things ever to let just a couple of warm days happen in late winter, and you can't stop all the things that it affects. Daffodils start coming out, and we can say, it's not your time yet. No, you're going to get hit by another frost. But the changes that the, the change of season causes in nature are irrevocable. Like you can't go back. The flowers are already boom, blooming. They're already starting to come out of the ground. And eventually, there is going to be a season change on earth. All of us will eventually walk through a phase of winter where our flowers will appear to fall. But when Jesus comes back to get us, having already been resurrected, that resurrection life will re-quicken our natural bodies. And the thing that we thought was death, well, we will find out that it was just sleeping. They were just asleep. I, I didn't know. They looked dead. That, that rose bush looked dead. I was, about to, I was about to cut it off. I was about to take it out. But it was only dormant. It was only sleeping. My last verse, I want to read this. And we can go ahead and stand up. 1 Corinthians, go ahead and stand up. 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, verse 35. But someone may ask, how will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies will they have? What a foolish question. When you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it first is buried. And what you put in the ground doesn't look like the plant that comes up. But it's only a bare seed 
of what is planted. And when it comes out of the ground, God gives it the body, gives the plant the body that he wants it to have. A different plant grows from each kind of seed. Similarly, there's different kinds of flesh. One kind of flesh for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are also bodies in the heavens and bodies of the earth. The glory of the heavenly bodies is different than the glory of the earthly bodies, just the same way that the glory of the sun is different than the glory of the moon. And when you go out and you look at the stars, each one of the stars has a different type of glory. It is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when they die, but they will be raised again to live forever. Why? Because we are connected to the source of life. We are connected. Now, all of us in here have lost loved ones. People that have gone on in the faith, people that we know that that they're not gone forever, but it still hurts, it still pains. I want you to tap back into what that feels like and listen to Paul's words to the Corinthians who think about have just lost through persecution a lot of their brothers and sisters. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but will be raised in strength. They are buried as natural bodies, but we will be raised as spiritual bodies. This is the hope of believers. Not that one day eventually Jesus will bring us back to life, but that the resurrection of the dead is a person, and we have already been resurrected. And so we don't wait for the cares of this world to eventually crush us out, We are standing in heaven now, visiting heaven's resources on a lost and dying earth. And one day we're going to take a sleep. We're going to cease from our labors. And we're going to wait for the springtime to come again. All of that is contained in the resurrection of the dead. So you understand why it's important that we we go back and we relay these foundations. Because it's not just an event that one day will happen. It is a way that we do uh, our lives here on earth. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much that we didn't do not one thing to ever deserve your loving kindness, but you so rich in mercy and so overflowing with love. God, you looked at us and you desired to have relationship while we were still dead, while we were still your enemy, you desired to have a relationship with us. God, I pray that you would do a transformative work in our lives today so that the people in our lives, at our jobs and our families, that we consider that are working as enemies against us, that we can love them like you loved us and repair relationship where there's only warfare. God, help us. Help us bring your light, bring your love to people that are lost and dying. Father, I pray that you would touch every wound, every scar in our heart, every pain that we still experience for the death of those that have, that have gone on before us. Father, I pray that you would comfort us. Your word says that you are near to the cry of the brokenhearted. So we lift up all the pain, all the stress, all the anxiety, all the worry that we are experiencing this week. And we ask God that you would help, Lord, that you would send the resources of heaven through us, the gifts of the Spirit, Father, the fruit of the Spirit, for us to be able to push back against the darkness, to push back against the spirit of death that's hanging like a cloud over this world, and to bring a personal springtime to everybody that's around us. Father, we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. We have got some amazing snacks out in the lobby. I encourage you, hang out a little bit. Get to know somebody you don't know and have a blessed week.